I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 28, epi- 27, Episode 8 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. Mr. Bill! Keep forgetting to do that, damn it. We did it wait, anyway. Wait, let, let's go again. Let's try it again. Thank you for joining us. I'll go first. Start to go second, but you go third. Okay, go. Now, go. Thank you for joining us for Season 27, Episode 8 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Bill. I'm Stork. I'm Mo. Hi, guys. <laughs> Seamless. We did so it. you link the show to your friends, just start there. Okay. <laughs> All right. In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Eric in New Jersey writes about setting up the mid-game. Uh, Tanner sends us an email about metahumans and Lovecraftian horror. Uh, John in Idaho asks for some advice on starting his next campaign. But first, if you'd like to email us, email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And if you'd like to watch the show live, go to happyjacks.org slash live. That's happyjacks.org slash live. On Fridays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Join us. Feel the heat. That's my new catchphrase. What was that song? Feel the heat. Uh, it's 80s, right? <laughs> Somebody did that. It is. It's a thing. Did uh, I do have one announcement. I was sent this by the 1D4Con people. 1D4Con is a small tabletop RPG convention that is normally located in the DC metro area. I'm assuming that's District of Columbia. Uh, like so many other conventions, COVID-19 swept through and destroyed our chance for an in-person convention in 2020. We are trying to run the 2020 convention for a third time. This is 2021. And I checked, this email is not that old. So they're they're running it, in, but they're running it now. We are trying to do it for a third time. However, this time we are trying a virtual one-day charity event through Discord on Saturday, May 15th. The money we'll, we raise will go to Extra Life, benefiting the West Virginia University Children's Miracle Hospital. Pre-registration opened on Saturday, April 3rd. Regular badges will be $5, while event coordinator GMs get discounted badges at $2. We have a good selection of awesome events, but we are still looking for more. Virtual gaming, panels, workshops, and more. We are using tabletop.events to manage the badge and registration and game submissions. But you can also find all of the needed info at the link and links at 1d4con.com. That's 1d4con.com. A percentage of the proceeds will go to server and discord boosting fees with the remaining amount, but the, uh, with the remaining amount going directly to our chosen charity, we will keep none of it. Hope to see you there whether running events or participating in some. Until then, may you find fun, great games to play. So there you go. And if you have a, uh, if you run a game convention and you want to plug, we do those for free. Because game conventions are important. Right. We, need, we need more of them. We, we do. do. I love game conventions so much. <laughs> oh, man, they're multi-million dollar enterprises. I don't know how we're just giving that away. <laughs> They're works of love. They are labors of love. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thank, thank the DDs of your choice for game conventions. It is a lot of work. It is a, yeah. When you, if you're at a game convention and, you know, you run into a snafu or something, be patient, because it, it's a lot of work, and most of those people are volunteers. 
And yep. be nice, because they're all doing it for you. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, don't be a demandy pants when you go to a game convention, because most of the people that are working there are volunteers anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a labor of love. It is. All right. Uh, the, setting up the mid-game from Eric in New Jersey. Who would like to read this? Or uh, should I read this? Okay. I'll do it. Let, uh, I'm going to interrupt you in a minute just to kind of, when, when he gets to, he's going to mention something, and I just kind of want to just clarify it to kind of frame Okay, frame. make that sound that you make. When we I get will. There. You got it. Excellent. Uh, hello to Stu and the Douche Crew Review. Come and ride you. Oh, That's right. I remember that boy. Man, Douche we're old. That's right. We're three unlikely animals. Something in the thing. <laughs> That's uh, always where my unlikely animals go. Something in the thing. <laughs> Doug and Ellie, and they began to sing. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, um, Mary Jo, I think her name was. Yeah, Mary Jo, yeah. And yeah. was it Charles, the other guy? Freddie, Freddie, Charlie, and Henrietta were the three mm-hmm. animals. No, no, what the, if you really the, want to go down the music review rabbit hole, I'm with you. The dude. Who is the dude? Um, uh, the sideburns. Uh, yeah. Doug? Was that it was Doug! Doug! I think it might have been Doug. Sure that might be Doug. right. I, I only remember Henrietta. <laughs> Henrietta Hippo. Uh, so yes, right. it was, yeah, Doug. Doug and, and uh, yeah, I think it was like Doug Momory or something weird like that. But anyway, but now we're whoo, we're in there. But yes, news review. We haven't even uh, started the email that people are already pausing the podcast to go look up news review. That's right, go look up news review. <laughs> By the way, uh, I don't know if still remember this. I used to have back in the VHS tape. Oh yes, I remember. It's on reveal. YouTube. It is that is and on YouTube. Some of them. Oh yeah. On some of them, there was news review bloopers. Yep. And the best ones were the animals, just like. Just cussing their brains out or talking about stuff. And one was Charlie, who was the owl, right? Was talking with Freddie the Frog. And he's like, he's like, you know, oh, it was it was like it was college experimenting. So like one dick and you're gay. And it's like we were like, oh, what just happened? What you're the funny little owl. What <laughs> I know honestly that the show. people that did the voices were also, I guess, in the costumes in order to make that yeah. work. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, they, either that, some... or they, or they made the bloopers and then decided to go ahead and produce them and put the voiceovers. In. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they might have been in the costumes. They might have been. Smart. Yeah, right. They might have been doing that, and then maybe they juiced up the voiceover later in the booth or something. But anyway, hey, I'm sure it's on YouTube. If it you is this far through the first like literal line <laughs> of this email. Go watch the music review because it's. Cool. <laughs> I hope your sanity is not taking too many hits and points over the last year. Any well wishes I can send to your diverse crew, I will, though I don't know what I can do from practically the other coast to help. Just sending us email. This is what helps. Anyway, I am here to ask a serious question. I have started a Savage Worlds fantasy campaign, and I'm trying to get to that part where the major players just make their plans and set them in motion. I believe, Stu, you call this the mid-game. Yes. I have been partially successful in this because there are things going on with the adventurers, dealing with the reactions of the NPCs to what they have done, plus the NPCs have their own agendas that are moving forward. The only thing is, I don't think I set up enough, or at least set it up correctly. It's at least in a suboptimal manner. How do you originally set this up? Do you just give agendas and copy down a couple of names of NPCs? Do you make relationship graphs like they did in Classic World of Darkness, in their Chicago book, for example? Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. That's pretty much it. Anyway, well wishes to all of you, hosts and listeners. Is there anything an idiot in New Jersey can do for you? Please let me know. Do you need beer? We we always always need beer. Need beer. Uh, Yeah. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay diverse. Love, Eric from New Jersey. 
No. You didn't me. I didn't. Well, I, I realized the email's short. I didn't have to ant you. The, <laughs> eh, the um, there you go. The, because when I, I don't know, sometime a long time ago, I was pontificating about like how, how sometimes campaigns have phases, you know, and like the, like the, like the, the beginning phase of the, of the game is when the players are still kind of getting used to their characters. The GM is sort of just starting to drop plot hooks. And then at some point, you get to a place where the players have their campaign legs, and that's and and then they kind of take over the 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 impetus. They 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 suddenly, instead of them reacting to what the GM's doing, they're now making the plans. It's like okay, we figured out what's going on. Now we figured out how we need to counter this to deal with the bad guys or or whatever the the premise of it is. And that's what I kind of call the mid game of the of the campaign. So. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever necessarily predeterministically set up a mid-game. I think it's recognizing what the players are doing and where they're going from what you've given them in the early game and then leaning into where it is they're heading. I know that in the Star Wars campaign I ran, like I had a thing that I laid out. It was a very singular focus early on, but it took, you know, maybe three or four sessions and it was like, okay, now... Now everybody's really made clear what it is they want to do, right? And I changed a lot of stuff to do that. I'm doing the same thing right now on the Yuma Station run, where mm-hmm. basically, you know, we've. I feel like we're like maybe one more episode before we're starting to move into the, you know, that early part of the mid game. Just right. because, uh, to your point, Stu, now the players are being more. They're leading what they want to have happen. Right. right, as opposed to just like waiting for me to throw out breadcrumbs and then following one. So they're coming up with their own crazy ideas, which is exactly what you want as a DM. That's what I was going to say. As a player, I usually can tell when the game shifts from, and it's usually that all of a sudden the DM is playing catch-up. The DM is like, they're no longer throwing breadcrumbs. Now they're like doing game prep after each session because, and that's when it switched. That's when the now the players... Are, are running away with the game, and the DM is trying to counter that, or at least come up with um, um, solutions for them every 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 episode. Yeah, I think um, it's it's interesting. I think uh, like uh, story and narrative games have really added uh, new tools to the GM's tool chest, and so <clears throat> you know the trad gamer like shows up, the maps are drawn. The villains are written up. You know, you have a list of NPCs that show up. And, you know, the the narrative game, like, starts asking questions and, like, taking player input. And if I felt like I was at the point where I needed to, like, drive the plot, but I was kind of out of plot, I would definitely solicit it from the group. Um, They might get into bad habits of, like, wanting to then paint for themselves. Right. Um, (laughs) But maybe that's not such a bad game either. Right. I, I think I, I don't. I don't. To me, I don't. You. I don't think you can. I mean, because because basically, when I would talking about like like early game and, and mid game, it's like if you ha- you've got an idea in for a story. At least the, the way I prep campaigns now, now that I because I used to just never think they were going to end. And so I just keep prepping and prepping. But now it's like, I know I'm going to run this thing for 10 sessions or 12 sessions or whatever. And I'll, I'll come up with what I, you know, a sort of premise or plot hook or a couple of them. 
And then basically it's like throwing bait in the water and seeing which one they bite. You know what I mean? And and there's not a whole lot of prep beyond that. So as far as prepping for the mid-game, I don't know if you do. That's when that's when the GM really needs to start yes-anding. That's when the GM it is, like Stork said, the GM is now suddenly the one scrambling, not the players. Because the yeah, players are like, okay, we figured out who the bad guy is. We figured out what we're going to do. We're going to start making our plans to, to deal with that. At that point, the GM's job becomes far more reactive than it was in the because in the beginning you're kind of leading along, especially if it's a brand new group and you got players who are, you know are, are a little shy or a little trepidatious and you want to give them some time to kind of to kind of find their sea legs before they move on. But once they have them, that's when that for for the G, that's when I shift from game prep before a game to game prep after a game. It's like what are the things I put off that I'm going to need to figure out in the last session on the next one. Rather than oh let's see what am I going to come up with this time because I don't that that never happens when when you hit that point where the players take over you're no it's no longer well what am I going to add it's like okay what are they doing or what do I think they're going to be doing and what, how can I be prepared for that you know what I mean so r- really as far as prep goes there isn't a lot at least for me now there are some GMs who are like. You know, I, I know my I, I know what's going to happen, and I already have an end in mind when I start the game. And I'm not I'm not that GM anymore. I used to be a long time ago, but I don't think I am. I'm, I yeah, what I've been what I've been doing now, like I'll give some insight into my what I'm doing for Yuma Station. I one is traveler, so you have no idea. Like I had, I'm going to do a space western. And this right. is the setting for it. And then you do character gen. And then you scramble. Right? And then like, someone made a psionic. And all of a sudden, yeah, you're going to rewrite the game. A one <laughs> Someone's got an archduke. Yeah, it's like, no, there's not going to be space wizards. Crap, I have a space wizard. So, uh, but whatever, you roll with it. And then a bunch of interesting com- stuff comes out of that, which leads you to, you know, here's a bunch of different characters that NPCs and connections and allies I get to play with now that helps form some ideas. And then, like... I knew the first thing they were going to need to do is get a ship, right? Because they, they, they had a bunch of things to be able to do to help them get a ship, but didn't have a ship. So I kind of knew what the first session was going to be about. But what transpired out of that was them, you know, like, as I think always happens in every campaign, there's a couple of NPCs that are just like, yeah, whatever, this is just going to be a person that's there. And then your players fall in love with them. And you're like, okay, well, they're going to come back at some point. There's going to be something important about that, right? Um, And so that happened with a couple of characters that I know will come back. Um, And then once they had the ship and they got back, like the thing that was another gift that is also a ton of work is they wanted a really, really old ship. They wanted the cheapest ship they could get. (laughs) And in Traveler, the way you do that is for every 10 years old a ship is, you roll once on the quirk table. And you can take you can do that up to ten times if you want to have a ship that's a hundred years old. So that's what they did. Oh my god! So they have a ship with, and I had to write a new quirks table because the one that comes with Traveler is a is a D roll two D six, and it's that's it. So there's only ten of them on there. So I made a D sixty six table, and they got two really crazy results on that table. One is they got that the ship is is haunted. The other one is the ship has an experimental AI. So both of those are on the original Traveler table too. um, Haunted isn't AI AI might be. um, Thought haunted was, but anyway. 
but or maybe haunted is one of those two is. But anyway, they they got those. I think the, the haunted is like there's psionic reverberations. It's haunted, right? So anyway, now I've got all that to deal with, <laughs> which is great. But now this just becomes now there's just like a whole table full of stuff they can pick and choose from. And so it's been interesting to then see like, oh, well, this is the thing we're interested in, right? They're like super interested in the AI. Okay, great. So now I know I've got a bunch of that work to do, which led me to then go and write in myself, like here's the whole history of the ship. I have the history of the ship like squirreled away because I know they're gonna go there because they already have been. But there's other stuff I didn't do at all. And to that point, when they started to go that direction, it becomes very reactionary. It's like, yes, you can absolutely do that, right? Great, awesome. And then you're like, okay, that's it for tonight. Thanks, everybody. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're gonna end early over, today. You know, gotta lay the track down in front of that. Um, but it's great, and I think that that's the thing you have to do. The mid game is more about, to me, the early game is just putting out the possibilities, right? Maybe there's a big bad you've introduced, depending on the game you're in, or a big goal. Like the, they kind of have identified a big goal that they're pretty sure might happen by the end. So we'll see if we get there, if that's what the thing that happens. But then the mid game is just like, oh, here's all the stuff that now they're interested in. Here's what they've chosen. Here's what they're leaning towards. And then you just, you go after that. I don't think, I don't think you can plan that part of it. You can have an idea where you want it to get to at the end and you kind of know where you're starting. But that middle is where the players take you. If, if you're lucky, and this happens rarely, especially these days, if you're lucky, the players will take the plot hook that you had planned originally. But I wouldn't bet on it. And you said something really interesting, Bill, and I like the imagery of it, which is they're going to grab onto something, and now you got to lay the track out in front of it. And that's that's the mid game to to me. As I mean, oftentimes I see Stu and everybody's like, "Oh, okay, well, you know, goodbye," and then he, he frantically preps the rest of the week. Well, because usually, he's laying the track out for the, you, that, that for the, prep. For the break normally happens immediately after the session because I don't want to forget anything that mm-hmm. happened during the session. So mm-hmm. after everyone's gone, then I open my laptop up and I'm writing, and usually three or four paragraphs just kind of jog my memory and put in what 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 my reactions might be, which is a very good note. Because it's true. You think, oh, I'll remember this, and then you don't. No. Especially me. All right. You don't want to get into that hippie space. I think Stu's right. Just put chum in the water. Yeah. See what they bite. I mean, and that's I mean, that's always worked really well for me and has made the campaign more interesting. Because, I mean, I keep going back to this because it happened, and it ended up becoming a major part of the game was in the World of Darkness game I ran, or the Vampire the Masquerade game I ran, the first one. The... The party glommed onto a piece of filler information on a fake newspaper I wrote, and it's like, oh, they, they're interested in this woman who owns the bar, because she's too old to own a bar, apparently. Apparently, you can't be 60 and own a bar. <laughs> and, she must be a vampire. Right. <laughs> well, they, well, she never went out in the nighttime. She was only out in the daytime, and that freaked them out. <laughs> it really only freaked one of them out, and then he, he ran with it. We were like, all right, right, sure, we'll see where this goes. But she ended up becoming a major plot element in the game, yeah, and a resource, and all kinds of things. And it wouldn't because have happened. They said so. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, <clears throat> I mean, if, if you don't think you're prepared for the mid game, I would kind of be inclined to say you're doing it right, because that is, none of us are. <laughs> because at the end of every session, you would have to then prep for the next session because stuff happens yeah. that 
that even though you may have thought, or, you know, that maybe this will happen, it never really goes that way. No, I mean the, the closest I get to like general prep is like if I come up with an interesting idea for an NPC or some kind of plot element or something. In my one note, I have in every campaign folder, I have a plot elements, and I'll go in and I'll, I'll write in something like whatever it might be, just <clears throat> a, 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 an interesting person or something that I can throw in just to kind of throw in a wrench or if there's a little lag in the in the action or something and, and I want to like bring, bring some more interest back I can throw a little something in mine their backstories for NPCs <clears throat> right you know to me one of the big differences between tabletop RPGs and like video game RPGs right is that because we're real people doing it there's so much that you can leave unscripted until you need it right and then it becomes very personalized to the players so when they start expressing interest in a place or an idea or a person or whatever it is, suddenly you can make that the focus, right? Unlike, like, that's super hard to know where that's going to happen in a video game, right? Typically, you're like, I'm going to lay out as much as I kind of can, and players are going to kind of get funneled via quests and side quests to get to my ending, right? But, you know, like, the, the example I always think of from the Star Wars game was... That was initially predominantly, you know, it was all about Dave's Sith character finding, you know, his master and that whole thing that we got to. But there became this massive focus on a throwaway character, which was Cure Starfall. And he was just like, just this like, I'm sitting, there's going to be a pilot sitting at the table with this Jedi who I'm sure you're going to be super focused on. Ten minutes later, the Jedi's dead, and everybody's like, "Oh, who's this guy?" And it was like, "Oh my god!" Here's, and he became this major character. Like that, with his motivation suddenly really mattered, and like, you know, culminating in this big intensive Dave's drilling into his brain with his Sith powers. And lying. He's like, I'm just this guy trying to make it, and like, yeah, it's true, it's just what he's doing, you know. And and then once, the, and then once every ship got stolen, right? And then it was like when once uh, Rob's ship got stolen, it turned into like all you guys met him again, and he was like, well, I. I could fly you guys around if you want. And Dave's like, no, I know this guy's evil and terrible. We have to destroy him. We're like, he's just, he's just happy to fly you around too, man. He's just trying to make some money. It's all good. You know, but. And he was nothing so, more than a name. No, no, he wasn't. Yeah, he was just, and he wasn't even like a predetermined name. He was like, who's this pilot? What's his name? I go to my like NPC and, and I always have a, a list. Like right now, I just have a list of, um, uh, he, him names, she, her names, they, them names, and I am because uh, potentially androids are a thing. I have an android list too, mm-hmm. right? And then, or a naming convention for androids. And so he was just like on a list, and I'm like, uh, oh, Cure Starfall. Like, and then it was like, wow, okay, now I gotta start writing a bunch of stuff. And part of it starts as notes during the session. And then once you realize that <clears throat> character be- is gonna become important to the players, then you can flesh it all out, right? If and the, the, to me the upside of doing that in real time and following you where the players take you is that that should feel like the character to the players should feel like oh yeah we uncovered a thing right yeah right yeah we figured a thing out because well because it became a thing so I made a thing for you to figure out of course of course I did that's what you want to do you and know, you're like, not I think like you're... describing a door and all of its intricacy that they never walk through. Right. Yeah. But if you go like, oh, there's a door. What's a door look like? Mm, okay. Well, the door looks like this. I don't know. I think there's something special about this door. You're like, 
there's something special about the door. Here's this door is cure Starfall. <laughs> here's the key though. Neither of you guys let on that, that this wasn't important. Both of you guys just yes handed and we're like, well, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. And then only later we realized that I, I Cure Starfall was a name I pulled up a list. We guess we're supposed to go for it or I mean, Stu's our famous story about the bear. It was like it was just a byline to fill up space. You weren't supposed to go after the bear. Yeah, that that that, that filler copy in those newspapers that Every that time. changes the course of games. <laughs> I think maybe this is the the difference in how I think about it now. Is it's less in my head anymore. You weren't supposed to. It's like oh, I didn't know you would. Right. Oh, I, like you go after whatever you want to go after. This is this is <clears throat> your game. I'm just here to try to like create some interesting complications and maybe be entertaining during the process, right? So anymore, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to put stuff out there. Wherever you want to go is where I'm going to try to like help you get to, and hopefully it's entertaining. Like they've made in Human Station, they've made the AI a big deal. So that's led me to do a lot of work for that, you know, including uh, like not only writing stuff, but like so I went and got here. I'll have it on. So, I, so if people haven't watched it, right? So the AI has voices. So there's when I'm talking to them as the GM. And then I can switch over to Ursula and say, how can I help you? And then they've met, <laughs> then they've met another AI. Who's <laughs> Xanthus, right? So like I've actually now had to put voice changer software on my system. <laughs> so when they want to talk, because I'm like, I can't, I, I want it to be really distinctly different. Right. Yeah. Right. But that wasn't like the plan when I started. That was where they took me. And this game's going to fall apart when you guys meet in person. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's what I'm seeing. But that's the thing, right? I think as we've all been for the last, you know, to, to talk to, to, to a little bit of what Eric talked about in this email, right? Like, you know, I hope you're not taking too many sanity point hits during this year. It's like we've all had to learn how to play exactly. differently. Dance. And so, yeah, and it's like, well, maybe there's a way we can use it to our advantage. What's something I could do? here digitally that I wouldn't be able to do as well in person and using goofy voice changer software is one of them. Right. You know, and it's all because they took me there. Exactly. Players. Yeah. Players. All right. Well, thank anything else. We're good. Thank you, Eric, for the email. I appreciate it. Uh, Meta humans and Lovecraftian horror from Tanner. I'll read this one. Go ahead. <clears throat> Greetings and salutations crew of the HSS Happy Jacks. Long time. First time, I need. I hear you need emails. I'm in the process of planning a sci-fi campaign using Savage Worlds. It will be a, be mixing the settings of Nova Praxis and Nemesis. Nimis, uh, Nova Praxis is altered carbon, carbon plus Shadowrun minus magic in space. Nemesis <coughs> is Space Marines versus Mythos Monsters in space. In NP and in NP Nova Praxis, the PCs are basically playing p- playing people that have their had their brains replaced with a nano machine duplicate that functions the same way. This is called apotheosis. The upside is that when you when your meat suit dies, you can transfer your consciousness to another meat suit or even a robot body. My question is this: How would Mythos? How would Mythos being? affect a person that is basically a robot. <clears throat> Physical attacks are, are not a problem. I can even see sanity loss, etc. working the same. Would you have the mind control powers work on apotheosis individuals? 
There are humans that refuse to undergo apotheosis. They are, of course, the Mythos cults. Thanks for all you do, Tanner. Starting my next campaign. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. The chat room, or someone's going to have to help me here. There was a game that was released with a uh, Creative Commons. You could download like a PDF of it or something. And they also sold the physical book. I used to have a copy of the thing. And it was exactly this. It was... It w- I mean, it wasn't for it wasn't for Savage Worlds. It was its own standalone game. And I can't for the life of me remember the name of this game. It was... Mm. But it was a metahuman game. But it had like a, a sort of a Lovecraftian o- over... No, it's, it wasn't Stars Without Numbers. This is this is it wasn't a PBTA game. Uh, that's Eric Odd in the chat room. Um, God, I can't remember the name of it. it wasn't the it wasn't Cthulhu Tech? Was it? It might have been. They, that might have been Cthulhu uh, Tech. Where it's yeah, where Cthulhu meets people with giant um, tech suits. Yeah, but they were they were still metahumans because you like mm-hmm. put your consciousness inside this giant mech I that think would go out. Cthulhu and Tech. Fight. Yeah, that might have been Cthulhu Tech. Um. Which uh, Frey back in the day and he Kimi ran it at the con, at our very first yeah. con. But uh, Alter Carbon is an interesting show too, by the way. Which is um, and it basically is that whole you can transfer your consciousness between different bodies kind of stuff. So it, I, I'm trying to infer if he's talking about how how would <clears throat> how would psionics affect this sort of nano machine brain they have? Hmm, and. And vice versa, I guess. You know, how would how would your person deal with a giant Cthulhu mythos creature from space? Um, and I'm not sure I really have an answer for that. That's kind of like that's up to you. That's it's your world, right? Does right. psionics work on machines? I don't know, how is psionics? Do you have to work out the science of science? <clears throat> psionics okay, so see if it affects things. I've 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 been listening to podcasts about philosophers talking about the per- perceptions of reality. And how the materialistic construct of reality may be just what our primitive brains are capable of understanding, and then it, it the 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 analogy that they had is, it's like if you're flying in an airplane, really knowing what reality is like would be like looking through the windshield, but because of our limited perceptive abilities, we're only looking at the instruments. That's kind of the closest they could get to it, mm. and. The, to me, this wouldn't even necessarily be a problem. You could always say, "Okay, yeah, they 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 have sort of uh, digitized your mind and put it inside of a computer, but maybe there's another aspect of it that came along with it that doesn't exist in regular space time, and maybe that's there too. And that's maybe you want to call it your soul or whatever you want to call it, but there maybe there's something else in there." That they know has to be there in order for it to be you, but they don't quite understand how that part of the technology works. Maybe it's like a black box. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what the Cthulhu or the, the Lovecraftian monsters are feeding on. That's what they're that's where that's where they're tapping in, because one of the things they they, they talk talk about in, in a lot of that mythos is the fact that they are multidimensional. They don't exist in regular space time. Maybe that's their inroad to us is through the you know the, our consciousness, which may which may pervade be more than just 
because I, 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 in fact, I just listened to a podcast by the guy who invented computer chips. Uh, can't remember his name, but he's just written a book saying that, a, that there will never be a true, like, self-conscious, a, self-aware AI because it's it, it it's th- that it does not exist as something that we could possibly digitize. I'm I'm, I'm way understating what the guy sure. said because it was way more lofty than I can comprehend. But I mean, uh, good. I like going in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and saying that Cthulhu, like, almost has like um, subatomic control over things, and so you you maybe you have more awareness that like you're being controlled. But if they tell your body to do something, maybe your body just does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's and, a good point. Yeah, and so it could absolutely be. Um, a a matter of they control like matter on a very refined level so your robot does what they tell it to and it malfunctions or your body's doing it tells it to and they malfunction it could just be your nervous system too they could to easily hijack your nervous system because you still have nerves and and all that and even though your conscious brain is now trapped in this puppet that they can now control um i really like the idea and they didn't say this but i really like the idea that you could not succumb to uh, Cthulhu's tricks the way that ancient man did, or people who refuse the apotheosis, and maybe they have like these these dreams that are kind of very mushroomy and you know um, fantastic. But you see Cthulhu for what it is, and maybe your character you can explain Cthulhu in a way that it's just the bad vastness they can't comprehend, you know. It's not. It's not fun. It's just looking at a brick wall. Well, how how big would this wall have to be, though? Oh, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. You could even in terms of because we're getting into sort of matrix territory. Even in terms of like you could you can see the code, but it, you know it's you, you know, that other people can't. They just see the world, but you can sort right, of see right, some right, of the code right. and the strings behind it that are. And you may or may not be able to always affect the code, but you know whether it is, and you know that it's there. Because even people. You know, unlike you know, there were people that worked with Neo that couldn't affect the code as well as he could, so they still had limits to what they could do, even though they knew that they were working in a construct. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and the, so I all mean, of these things are possible. And if literally. I mean, if they have the capability to to affect, uh, I'm talking about the Cthulhu monsters. If they have the ability to, to affect reality in a quantum level, that means that like even the computer chips that make up where your brain is being stored don't work predictably anymore. I mean, it that, that seems that there, there's a, several different ways you, you can, I think, approach that kind of, having a, a similar kind of game. Because the whole, the whole point of a, of a Cthulhu game is it's a, it's a disempowerment fantasy, mm-hmm. right? You're, you are uh, way over your pay grade when it comes to what you're dealing with. And I mean, what, th- th- there was another game someone mentioned. Eclipse Phase might have been, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't specifically remember Lovecraftian monsters in that. But maybe that's the other one I'm thinking of. Um, but I mean, the if you're if you're lo- if you want to run it as a horror game, I, I think you, you just have to kind of tweak what the monsters are capable of doing a little bit, which is real easy to do in in Savage Worlds anyway, I think. And that's a legit question. Do you want to run it as a horror game, or is it more Hellboy? Right. You know, which has Lovecraftian monsters, but, you know, you have a chance. 
Right. Hellboy, the yeah. first Hellboy movie especially is a love letter to Lovecraft. I mean, it, it's it's very Cthulhu. You know, one thing that's interesting, Mo, that, that you said talking about the Matrix, right, and that, that how that all came up is the 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 fact that maybe think about that is if you were to kind of map this to the Matrix as a as a way of viewing it, like all the people that don't know what's happening, right, are are all your normal people, your mythos cultists. They're true believers in the reality that's presented to them. But characters, the PCs or any characters that have gone through uh, the apotheos or pronounce it, right? They're like Neo and Morpheus. Like they know it's there, but they also then have to fight against it. And they can they can be controlled, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to be super strong not to be controlled. Even when they've got or the scene where like Morpheus is in the chair and He's like really using mm-hmm. everything he has to fight not being subsumed, right, uh, by one of the agents, right, and you could see where like lesser, <laughs> right, lesser, right. or could even be influenced, right. There was the one guy who was the traitor, yeah. Right? Just who give me a like, stake. He, yeah, he obviously had been influenced by them and turned by them, and they, as opposed to mind controlling, were like, you understand the reality. We're going to present you an alternative path to become one of our followers, right? So it still has all that insidious connectivity, right? It's just letting you letting you see what, if you knew what the reality wasn't was, but I think is really, that's a really cool different take on a mythos Cthulhu type thing. You can even toss in a little they live in there, which is, you know, only the PCs are allowed to see the, yes. the people pulling the strings and everybody yes. else is still busy. They don't, unless they don't understand or don't see or they don't know what's really going on. <laughs> Anytime know? you can use the they live trope, you should. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, scrolls, you know, it's the same thing. It's shapeshifter. Only certain people know who they are can see them, you know. Yeah, it's, that's a classic. Tro- there was another one that came out, another movie that came out around the same time as The Matrix, I think called Dark City. Yeah, Dark City. And it, and mm-hmm. it was, it was similar to the Matrix, but it had more of a of a, a there's somebody living amongst us kind of vibe to it. And then you know when you go to sleep at night, the world changes, and but you guys don't remember it. Only I remember it, you know. And that's that's another way to kind of go with it, you know. Which is there's definitely people pulling the strings. I'm not sure how they're doing it, but I know that they're doing it, or we the players know they're doing it, and I don't we don't nobody else does. Um, and it can still keep it like we don't know how, we don't know why. But we can, we can, it still affects us because I wake up in the morning and everything's different. But I know it's different and nobody else does. Ah. Very cool. A uh, couple things from the chat room here. <clears throat> uh, James V said that they, they have a Cthulhu Tech version 2, The Shadow War, and it's an open beta. It's free, so you can check it out. So that you may he that may provide some other, uh, possible other approaches as well. I, I, I didn't realize that game was still cranking all around. Uh, and the other thing is, Eric Odd wants to know what what the, your voice changer software you're using. Aha! Uh-huh. I am using Voxel Voice Changer. Is there There's like- a ton of them out there. That's just the one that I tried that I liked. <clears throat> I think I got it like on a like a two or three week free trial, and then I just bought it because it wasn't that expensive. Um, but uh, there's there's a ton of them out there. It's really what they end up being is they give you a whole list of different voices you can do. You can play with them. Um, this one I like because it let me do key bindings, so I can just sit there and I have like different keys set up, and I can sit there while I'm playing and switch back and forth quickly between the different AIs and my voice as GM. Um, and it also this one has the one I got also then has a setting where you can go in and like make your own 
filters as well. So oh, really? Cool. That like, would yeah. be very cool. Yeah, which is really nice. So you can you can even take the ones they have as a base, then go like, oh, oh, I want that to be a little less this, a little more that, and they give you all those. EQ it, and make it really darker. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. So that's yeah. pretty cool. And then does it does it does it do like throat modeling as well, or is it basically just pit pitch? Um, it kind of it does a pretty good array of stuff. Um, here I'll fire it up real quick. Um, and so I guess what I'm asking is can you make it so that it, it still sounds like a person but just a different person well this is like female 3 which is basically a piss shift that's There's a pitch big shift. guy I don't really know what these are sound like because I don't hear them here you can tell me if they sound like people or not if you that's, hear them. that sounds that's, boomy it sounds like you're right on the microphone it's right. also yeah, a little lurch like a little very yeah, white like old, old male I don't know what old male sounds Say, like oh yeah Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they have ones like this is Super Villain, which has got some echo and a three band EQ on it. And Frankenstein, which has got a chorus and a pitch shifter and a low pass. Fire anyway, bad. Fire bad. Yeah, they've got. They've got a ton uh, of different, basically, you can go in and all kinds of EQ stuff to play with. So you could really make your own. I think you could shift it to where you still sounded like a person. Okay. Okay. Right, just because you're just doing like like pitch shifting and right. modulating and EQ changing, um, I I concerned myself a little less with that because <laughs> I was like I know these are going to be AIs, so I want them to sound that way. Um, though I have thought about potentially as the AI matures, I could go in and then like have one that still sounds like that AI because I'm using all the same basic stuff, but I'm lowering down the like. Filter pass and up and so it feels a little more human, more human, less robotic. Yeah, so I could shift that because, but that's we'll see. I have to finally send a bunch of free time to do that. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Uh, someone's asking about the podcast I was talking about. The podcast is not specifically a philosophy podcast. It's actually more of a medical podcast. It's called Z Dog with Two G's MD. Uh, but he ends up getting these people on who like the the guy who invented computer chips has now written a book about philosophy and reality and i just ordered it to read it and then he had another guy on who both of these guys are computer science computer scientists and they have doctorates in it that guy also had a doctorate in philosophy and he was the guy who was talking about uh whether whether the what he, he referred to as materialism which is that the universe is made up of stuff that we can't quite understand because it's some sort of subatomic thing that we can't observe because of the quantum that that stuff that I can barely talk about or understand, and um, and I just ordered his book as well because I'm, I want to try to understand it because that guy was fascinating to me. Anyway, there you go. yeah, I was just reading an article on one of my feeds today about the, there's a fifty fifty chance that we're work, or that we are living in a simulation. Very matrix-like. Yes, yeah, so we either are or we aren't. 50-50. One or the other, but it's 50-50, which is a really high odd. And there's and they, they pointed out the compelling reasons of why we might be in a simulation. It's fascinating. When you start letting your brain go that way, you're like, wow, that, I guess there's really no way to prove it except for these couple of things. Huh? <laughs> the way When I hear that, it's like, well, they used to say there was only like a 5% chance. And then like 
2016 to 2020 happened. And basically, they're like, now, I don't know, because enough weird stuff. Well, the whole and, point and they, is all, they all bought it. They all but, believed it. But the point they're is the whole universe is a simulation. Uh, you know? Well, yeah, but, but what's our perception of the universe? Right? Exactly. Right. See, this stuff gets really cool. <laughs> we can talk about it. We can, we can start our own podcast about this. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, talk about uh, we're like the right people to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy. We talk about it at like a 5% competency level. <laughs> Space is big. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It is. Crazy big. All right. Um, So I'll read the last one. Sure. Sure. Starting my next campaign from John in Idaho. Uh, Your own private Idaho. Uh, Hello, ladies and gentlemen. First, I want to follow up up on a previous email. This is the guy who let the... Who gave the players a dragon egg. We remember this. I think yes. Bill was here for that. I listened to that one. It was, that's a great one. I had let the players obtain a dragon egg at an inn slash brothel. Of course, I took your advice to heart and allowed the egg to hatch, producing the cutest little black dragon they had ever seen. She Good. soon she, Great. She soon became the team's mascot, and several hijinks ensued. Uh, unfortunately, my enthusiasm for this particular campaign seems to be waning, so I have decided to bring it to an end before I get DM burnout. My idea is to have the big bad evil guy, an insane wizard bent on revenge, <laughs> burn down the inn and the dragonling and dragonling nap the dragon. dragon oh, oh. Uh, Instead of kidnap, kidnap the, dra- the dragon. The dragon. Read to get that word. By the way, when I was reading, <laughs> to, to raise as a tool for vengeance. Hopefully, that will be sufficient to send the players into enough of a tizzy to go out to go take out Maldrax. Yes, I know. Sorry, I, I don't. Who's Maldrax? Is that a reference? That, that must be the evil wizard. That well, evil. it's it's very it's very Dickensian in that it's Mal evil Drax dragon. Okay. Right, okay. Uh, for my next game, I'm making the bad guys, quote-unquote, be the shop owners, tavern keeps, etc. Sick of their places of business being destroyed and stolen from by adventurers, they form a coalition to get rid of the threat. By sending the parties on near-impossible quests, the adventurers are rapidly dwin- adventurers are rapidly dwindling. I am hoping to run this in a kind of hybrid adventure-slash-mystery. Now, finally, to my questions. <laughs> I'll I'll interrupt you real quick. Go. It's this dude interrupting. I just want to say, first of all, because like the second half of this is amazing, I think. Brilliant idea for campaign. But I just want to say, good on you for realizing you're getting to the point where you're starting to burn out on the other one and planning to have a cool end for it. I think that is awesome that you are doing that. When to say when. Yes. And good on you for letting them have the dragon, because that's awesome too. It is. But it is going to generally shorten the length of your campaign slightly. Because <laughs> it's, it's a like, but right now it is. Well, I guess they live a long time, so they probably grow slow. Sure. Like, I, I, I guess while we're, we're paused, I say you're going to have to be very careful about how you pull off this dragon mapping because you don't want to kill animals or children in any in anything. And and if you are taking away their pet dragon. It, you got to make sure that it doesn't get accidentally killed. You got to make sure that it's not going to get hurt. Because <laughs> I don't know. Have, have you watched? Uh, have you watched uh, um, the Mandalorian? Mm-hmm. Because when the when the Imperial scouts captured the little Yodeling, that was some of the funniest television I think I've ever seen in my life. When it's like, shut up. <laughs> 
that was killing me. Uh, that scene is like that is the pinnacle of stormtrooper. Yes, it is. It totally is. Holy crap! It's so good. It's so it good. Killed me. Oh, two just... scout biker yokes just sitting on their rides, like with one of the most powerful little things in the universe that they don't really know about, and they're just complaining about. That. Oh my god, that's so. This stupid thing won't shut up. And they punch it. <laughs> So anyway, to, uh, you have to, to be yeah, careful. To Stork's point, though, right? You don't want to. You don't want to cross a line, right. That the group has set, and up. they're going to be very attached to this dragon. So, I mean, if you can manage to get the dragon, you know, maybe just disappear. Like the bad guy shows up, and they don't realize that the dragon is gone until it's gone. But if they start seeing that dragon going, getting taken from them, they'll probably burn the city down before they let that uh, dragon go. Away. Oh, it's going to watch. Go watch some episodes of Dragon Riders Race to the Edge, which my son loves, right? Uh, and but he's almost five, so there's not a lot of like actual gonna hurt the dragons but there's a whole group of dragon hunters that capture them all the time so you might get some good ideas on like how to capture a dragon without hurting a dragon but still making it feel like it's in some peril like kids tv can help you there right i mean well, like, i mean it, it, assuming the dragon isn't like kept in a cage i'm assuming uh it probably can easily wander off and you could have it get kidnapped without the party even having a chance to intercede if exactly that's what you're doing exactly. for the for the plot and maybe maybe he needs to, the dragon's you know heart or something for a spell. Make it you can go real dark if you wanted to, and then that creates a level of urgency where they've got to go after it. You know, because you never know. Sometimes you think the players are attached to something. It's like, oh, the dragon wandered off. Oh well. But if well, they're higher, starts right. If they're higher than seventh level, you 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 don't want this to be an incident, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, the way I would probably do it is I would I would have the the enemy explodes or whatever, and I would have the um, the dragon being carried off in a net by, by two other dragons. And as the dragon is disappearing over the horizon and disappearing into the clouds, out steps your wizard of the burning the burning in, you know, and cracking his knuckles, saying, "All right, you know, who's next or whatever," so that they have the villain to fight mm. can't get to the dragon in time. So the dragon is gone now safely, and now you have a big bad to face off with. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, there you go. All right, I'm going to go on to his questions. Yeah. Number one, I would really like to run the game in Savage Worlds, but my players have only played D&D. I am concerned about switching. Is there any advice to make the transition go smoothly? Dork. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm only going to refer to Stu's game where he switched systems three times and it didn't go smoothly. At well, he's either. not switching systems know. in the middle of a game. That's they true. almost always play D&D, and he wants to try Savage Worlds. I... Savage Worlds is great, but for these these are all players that have never played it before, and so I would give them a couple of options. Um, I would I would I would either I would I would ask them if anybody wants to make a character, well, we can work our way through it. If you guys don't want to, I have these templates set up. What you can name, um, we can discuss what a blaster is. We can discuss what you know, however however they're set up, and we can sort of tweak them. So, or I can make characters for you. And then you guys can experience. But I would give them those options and work it out. And maybe you come up with a hybrid of it. Like I said, perhaps you you come up with um, some templates for them, and then they can help in the work the way like how that powers work. And this is what that's why I chose that power for this. Um, and that way they can understand how characters are made without having to spend a lot of time going through the book. Because if you're going to do it, everybody's going to need a book. Because I think we had this with your group game. The nice thing is the the, the book them. is cheap. It is very cheap. It's ten bucks. You can get the the paperback version of the 
Deluxe Explorer's Edition for ten bucks. But but for every power you buy, you need to read it. It's like so. If right. You buy yeah. The Everyone Black really power, does need a copy. If you buy it, a yeah. bolt, you need to understand the parameters of that bolt power and how to right. you know how the point buy works in there. Right. Um, and it's not hard. It's just that everybody needs it. Yeah. And, and the, the my direct answer to you on is there any advice to make the transition go smoothly? No, there isn't. The no. players are either going to take to the game or they're not. I remember it very early on in the... We're talking er, very early seasons, probably season five or six of this podcast. Someone wrote in, and they had a group of people who'd always played D&D, and one of the players, this, this, this person wanted to try playing Savage Worlds, brought out Savage Worlds, and the person who usually DM'd the D&D game was one of the most reluctant person at the table, and said, this game is just a gimmick so that players get to use all the different dice. You yep. remember that? <laughs> I remember that comment very well. <laughs> right, and I'm like, uh, well, D&D is the one that came with using all the dice, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they're either good... You never know. I mean, if you can expose them to it and get them to try it, they may love it, because Savage World has has a rabid fan base, because... There, a lot of people really take to that game, and it's very easy to learn. It's super compact, and it's extremely flexible. It's a really solid role playing game, and and you might end up having having some fans of the system come out of that out of that campaign. Then again, they might go, oh, I, don't, I don't like to learn new things. I've just spent the last decade yeah. memorizing all of the rules so I know how to screw you over in That's D&D. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's when people hate the change of games. It's like, uh, but now I can't fuck with you. I don't know what's going on. Right. I'm, 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 like, I'm your toy because I don't know how to use the system to my advantage. Er, I'm sure Erica Odd is in the chat right now. She probably has all kinds of advice about Savage Worlds because that is her, her jam. Backwards and forwards. <laughs> My advice is uh, let them know it's going to be a short six-session run. Yeah, there you go. And, like, you're not taking away their toy. You just want to try a different toy. Their toy is still there. We can come back and play that toy. And if they like it, it may go further than six sessions. But you're not threatening their identity. He also right. talks about leveling and experience as well. And Savage Worlds is a, basically a point-by system, so... Yeah. Um, it's. Well, have sorry, we gotten to get... that question yet? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. No, there's, there's four more, more questions. Oh, oh, there's four more questions. Oops. I said good day. Uh, number two. <laughs> I have read the Savage Worlds rule book and I feel pretty. I have a pretty decent grasp on the rules, but I'm wondering how leveling and loot feel, quote unquote. That seems to be one of the things D and D does well, giving the players a sense of progression and power. It's been a long time since I played Savage Worlds, and I don't remember. Do I have a copy of the book right here? I don't want to read it to you on, on the show, but it, it, it I don't recall it That's feeling. Somebody else's copy there, don't you? Oh, I do. I, I still do. <laughs> I haven't mailed that yet. <laughs> I still have. I still have. Um, from what I recall, because I don't think we've ever played. I've played a Savage Worlds game. F- for a long period of time. The closest we came was uh, Dave's Riff's Savage Worlds game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we leveled up very much. But I mean, it, it doesn't... It's not like... there. I, I wouldn't say that there's power creep in Savage Worlds the way there is in D&D. There, right. is, there certainly is character advancement, but it's not part of the... It's not... 
character advancement and power creep and harder and harder monsters is baked into the DNA of D&D. That doesn't seem like the case to me with Savage Worlds. You, starting characters can possibly kill very powerful creatures in the book. It's, it's possible. It's nearly impossible in D&D. Right, you know, because you've got these things with auras that do damage and all kinds of stuff like that, and I don't, I don't re- recall anything like that being in Savage Worlds. As far as loot goes, kind of the, I, I kind of have the same sense about about yeah. that. I think, I think I played Savage Worlds like twice, and I believe it's kind of yeah. like Champions that like you add a thing to your character with your experience, right? So, like, I think the big thing is it if this is a fantasy game you're running be careful you're not going to sell savage worlds playing something that is very D-ish yeah. you should go play Sa- a savage worlds game in savage worlds not that you can't play fantasy but like it needs to be different in dimension and tone the way experience is handled in um savage worlds it's similar to gurps because again it's a point by it so you can either level up uh, an aspect of your power, say you have blast, you can right. you can get, make it do more damage, or you can level up one of your characteristics, which changes the dice you have because you can go from a d6 to a d8 if you add enough points and stuff into it. So there's a couple of ways to do it, but if people that are used to D and D, where they you know open up a chest and get a bunch of loot <clears> and a corporal sword, and everybody rolls, it may be a little disappointed when you they get four points to do with whatever they want with at the end of an episode. You're like, what do I do with these four points? Uh, yeah, because you get sword? you get points at the end of every session, right? Yeah. I think I, I think so. I don't. Yeah, once you get to a certain amount of points, you're like, oh, now I can spend these on something, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they're gonna be a little disappointed when they're like, well, where's my vorpal sword? Well, yeah, I mean that's the, I would say the loot progression isn't as good unless you shoot someone in cool armor, and right? Because that's kind of but built into that, the same power creep too in D and D. No, I I agree. Like I, it just it's it's a. The big thing about D&D is you hit these, like, milestones really regularly that are like, I got this thing, oh, third level, now my character, this stuff in my character. Hey, I got this cool magic item. Like, there's there's that coming in, and GURPS is more of that slow burn, right? right? Almost where you get to, like, you will get to a milestone point where you're like, oh, oh I can I can now, I'm going up to a other level of experience, which unlocks different kinds of stuff I can get, thing, but it's, like, more the slow burn right. rather than, like, kind of the, the chunky stuff you get. Right, because that's what D and D is all about. Like, kill the monster, take its stuff, go to the next room. It's at its core, its heart. Now you can do amazing role playing in it. I'm not trying to sell it down, but just the um, like the endorphin hits to me that you get from D and D are different than the ones that you get from the Savage Worlds. Yeah, that's okay. It, it, Erica Odd is correcting us. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> it is not point by. You get an advance. And you get those after maybe a certain number of sessions. I don't remember how, exactly how you get them, but you can you can increase a trait by one or two skills by one. Get an edge, or get new powers when you've leveled up. So it's not really point by. Yeah. Um, right. The other thing, uh, apparently, there is uh, there's a savage pathfinder now. Yes, there is. But there's I savage everything. my suggestion, if you're going to try to run this game and really try to sell them on it, I wouldn't try to emulate D and D at all. I mean, I would. It, it's a game that is awesome for like a pulpy, over the top. Try anything you want. Yeah. You're probably not. It's probably not going to kill you. 
So just go and do crazy shit because that's what it really excels at. It totally is. You want yeah, to the big thing again. to lean into with Savage Worlds, which Dini doesn't have, is the dice explosion mechanic. Oh yeah, uh, right. right. That's what, kind of what we're referencing when you're like anybody could take could take out anything because every time you roll the top number and die, you pick it up and roll it again and add it. Yeah, right. And, and you if you hit it again, you can pick it up and roll it and add it. Yeah. So you can explode five <laughs> turns. Yeah, you can get these completely aberrant things where. You know, like really little leveled, little inexperienced guy who goes up and gets the dragon in the eye and then goes bah, 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 111 damage because they just happen to like max out all these dice right. through the roof. Could happen, right? That's the thing, and you're absolutely right. So that's the thing that Savage was great is be a pulp hero. Yeah. Right? Like just try the crazy thing because that's kind of what it's all about. And you can try anything. It's like, if it's not on your skill sheet, it doesn't mean you can't do it either. That's the... Right. I, I just remember Savage World just being like, I want to swing on a chandelier. Go for it. It's it's yeah. a lot more fun that way. I, You're I, not really restricted by your class either. I'm like, well, I'm a rogue. I can't do you don't that. have those, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the fun thing... I, 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 this was kind of scary, because it was Tappy's build of the character that was part of the reason this happened. But Tappy, we, we made beginning characters and it ran a game, and and very early on, um, uh, you guys met giants or trolls or something, and and the uh, oh, I remember this scene. I yeah, and it very he well. he like Is one he... he like one shot at a giant. Yeah, and the giants and... were no joke. I mean, their stats were impressive, and you guys made beginning characters. And he had mostly. Rem- mostly remember because he he snuck up on it and he did a couple of things, got his skills, and then one shot of this thing. And then he's like, "Well, I got to go." And he left. And he's like, "Well, I proved my point." And it's like the character works. And he left. And we're like, "What the what? What just happened?" <laughs> yeah, but he he had, and but he had his diet exploded like five or six times. It was insane. It was. But insane. he bought these things that helped that helped towards all. Yes, that yes, he did because he knew that that was. Because th- there's a th- th- there's a little statistical quirk in Savage Worlds where if you have if you're rolling a lot of d4s you have a 25 percent chance of having an exploding die as opposed yep. to a d6 when you only have a one sixth chance which is a number that isn't 25 and is not easy to come up with and it probably has a decimal <laughs> anyway. Uh, 15 and 16.66 maybe anyway question number three since this will be more of a mini campaign do you think I should pre-make characters create some templates we kind of already talked about this or just let the players muddle through their character creation of course I will be available to help but I'm only one person I would leave it to them make them muddle through do not let them muddle through see I I would leave it to them I would make pre-gens That they can, or that maybe leave off the drawbacks, which is really kind of where your character comes the from. Yeah, and, and 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 have them like almost finished, and say you can either take characters that I made and maybe just tweak them a little bit, or if you want to start from scratch, we can start from scratch. It's up to you. Making characters in Savage Worlds isn't that hard. It's not like GURPS. GURPS, you, if you hand someone a book and say, "Here, make a character," it's going to be hours. Yeah. Especially yeah. if they've never made a character or, or, and they or, don't have an idea. Today. Pardon? Or not today. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you also just get caught up in all the cool things in the book. Ooh, I want to do that. Ooh, I want to do that. I want to buy some of this. Ooh. Can I make a robot? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Suddenly your character design, character choices change four times while you're making it. It's um, And Savage Worlds kind of has the same thing. You know, you 
it's like I want to do a thing, and you start to look through the book, and you see these other cool things that you can do. So it's um. I don't know. Like I said, I would make a hybrid of it. I would have the characters ready in case. I'd make some rough templates that just, you know, it's like here's an, maybe an archer, maybe a wizard, you know, they do distant stuff, uh, ideas, and we'll, we can pick some and tweak the powers from there, or just, you know, everybody sits down, everybody has a book, and create it on your own. But I, I would I would have all three available for for your players, like, I, like Stu was saying. Right. Okay. I would run, I would just totally change the genre of the game. Yeah. Because I think as long as you have a fantasy game, compare it with D and D. People yeah. are going to want to do the things that they know they can do, and they're going to constantly be frustrated and not care about the things they can do. Right. They're just going to be frustrated. That's a very very good point. You're, you're going to get stuck. Yeah. They're going to get stuck in this mindset like it's a fantasy game, so this is the yeah. way fantasy is played. Comparison not- is the enemy of joy. Uh, Eric is also bringing up another good point. Says that. Uh, a friend of hers had trouble being accustomed to D&D. He was overwhelmed by the classless Savage World system because there was mm-hmm. choice overload. That's mm-hmm. a, a, a real possibility, too. It is a real possibility. I mean, sometimes it's you have a you have a character that has you know very limited parameters and you have a lot of fun sort of playing around within those parameters. But if you have a character that can do anything, suddenly you can't do anything. You know, it's, what is that? The Jack of all trades conundrum, which is your... your was it... Skilled at many, but master of none. Right. And, uh, yeah. Jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah. Uh, Finally, I am trying to find a way to end the game in a satisfying way. It would be difficult, if not impossible, to kill all of the shopkeepers involved, but just disbanded the the coalition doesn't seem like it would be very satisfactory. Thank you for your insights. John, some dude from Idaho. So you know, you, burning a city down leaves a lot of people without jobs and great. places to go. And so, if your big bad comes in and, and lights the inn on fire, so those shopkeepers are going to lose their buildings. Suddenly, they've got no place else to go but band together and go after the big bad themselves. Well, well, the shopkeepers are the big bads. That's the thing. Mm, the yeah. shopkeepers are setting up the heroes. Um, yep. I, I, I like what the Marvel shows are doing, where they're making it very um, morally gray how bad the bad guys are. And so um, fighting them isn't necessarily the best way to get rid of them. Right. <laughs> and if you have a great reason why the shopkeepers want to make sure that um, the, the people who keep going on this adventure uh, die, you know, um, yeah. It, like, could, it, it I, could be as simple as the nouveau riche, you know. They're sort of old money. Oh, these established shopkeepers that have been around for generations or years, and the new boo, you know, the new money people, you know, oh, they're not as, not as, they're so, they don't have as much class as we do, you know. Um, it, it happens, it still happens in England, but it happened in America. Um, and so, you know, these these shopkeepers are perhaps are even part of a sort of a, you know, a rotary club or a guild, um, and they, you know, Oh, and they Rotary all golf club. together and hang out together, and they're they don't like these you know upstarts who are right. starting their own little shops. Well, I mean they're 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 mendicants. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are. I own I own a wanderers. chain of magic stores, <laughs> and now, these guys just have a have a knitting shop. No, I ha- I have an idea 
that if you wanted, it would put kind of a plot twist in this. So the shopkeepers, the, the premise of it, if I understand this correctly, is the shopkeepers are telling these adventurers, they're sending them off on these super dangerous twa- quests, trying to get them all killed, or at least get rid of them somehow. What if these shopkeepers that all got banded together, maybe it wasn't their idea. Right. Maybe it was the dragon who's got the huge horde who wants to really thin out the, the bands of adventurers, who's, turned, who's trans, transmuted himself into a human, has come in and he bought a shop in the, in the place, and he's like, I think we should do something about these people. They're, they're a danger to our way of life. Charm, and, charm, charm, charm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm bent on this not being fantasy. I, I think you could do something interesting where... Um, Maybe it's the gold of Machu Picchu and the pulp adventurers come to town and the people know about the gold and they send everybody off the, over the cliff to their death. And the maybe the adventurers, you know, figure out we've been set up and then they have to go back and deal with the townspeople. It could be a mind flare that's in charge of the whole uh, guild. Who's <laughs> charming these guys forever? Could also do we could do the a, the they live reference again, which is you know yeah. the all yeah. the shopkeepers are actually yeah something else. Yeah, I got to bounce. Thanks, guys. Sorry, right. we're we have a we have a family. I know. Happy parenting. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Good night. Take care. But I mean, I, I kind of I kind of agree with Mo. I mean, if if you're trying to get them to try something besides. Dungeons and Dragons, picking an, a, a, taking it out of the fantasy genre is... I mean, that's a really fun premise for a game, though. I gotta say, and that and that premise works a lot better in a fantasy game, because that's the total fantasy trope, right? You, the, 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 yeah. the adventurers come in all to Mandy Pants when it's... after they've, you know, gone on, gone on their mission and cleared out their dungeon and want to spend their gold and push, you know, push their weight around... And this is the chance for the all of the shopkeepers to band together and get back at them. It's a very funny idea, but well, they have to get rid of them because these guys keep coming in with this gold they found and upsetting the entire uh, uh, monetary well. They're causing the economy. they're, they're causing hyperinflation, right? Right, <laughs> completely screwing the economy over. You know, right. suddenly now everybody's breakfast at the inns have gone up twenty gold, and nobody can afford it anymore because the fucking Avengers are in town and everybody's trying to fleece them for their gold. Right, I've I've got you know a thousand gold pieces in my basket and a loaf of bread, and the people come by and they steal the bread. <laughs> 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 but it, I think if you're going to keep it in fantasy, keep it D and D. Because when you try to build that mind flare in Savage Worlds, everybody's just going to nitpick all yeah. the things that happen wrong. Yeah. You, also, as a player, having done this kind of a bit, um, you you have a really hard time. Even I have a really hard time not thinking in those classes and not thinking in D and D terms because we're so ingrained in that fantasy world that it's really hard to like oh right I'm not actually playing D&D I'm just I'm playing Savage Worlds right, oh, right. right I can't actually do these things it's it seems stupid but you do you get stuck in the mindset that way so well, you're right in, in many ways maybe even just if you want to keep it fantasy that's fine but yeah, I, th- I would just like completely change the tune um like Go like an L5R and do like a, you know, a sort of more, instead of a European-based fantasy, do like an Asian-based fantasy or something. You can try something like that, too. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> Although the, the, his premise is very funny, and in D&D would work very well. But So there you go. Hopefully we answered your questions, John. I hope. 
it's doable, but is the juice worth the squeeze? I exactly. Have to write a whole Savage Worlds hack about business. We call it uh, accountants and abacuses, and it's uh, <laughs> it's about uh, business. Uh, abacai? Would it be ab- is it an abacai? Ab- I don't know. Abacai, abacuses. All right. Uh, anything else? Anyone need to mention? The one D four con. Go to one D four con dot com if you want to go uh, do that on uh, Saturday, May fifteenth. Cool. Um, and there's support your local cons. Support your local cons. Hey, uh, Strategic Con. If you want to run a game for Strategic Con, you should probably submit it now. They did. Oh, that, that's right. It's online. Yeah. Now, 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 they had talked about having a, a partial open con. Are they still talking for that September? Way oh, for September say. now. Okay, all right. Because the last I heard is June fifteenth. They're talking I about. Thought, I thought it was still Memorial Day. No, 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 no. This is something else. Oh. In California, on June fifteenth, they're talking about getting rid of the color code system. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Call, wake me. Wake me when you're done. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Season 27, Episode 8 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Mo. Bill left. And Bill had to go. Uh, And thank you very much. We'll see you next time, next week, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Happy Jack's RPG Podcast Live. Until then, stay safe, and we will see you later. Happy gaming. From Michigan to Australia and maybe East Timor. Be a of the Angry Folk Media Empire.